You are listening to the Star Coach Podcast with Meg Rentschler, Episode 22. Welcome to Star Coaches, the show for professional coaches that brings you coaching strategies, tools, and resources. Whatever your focus or niche, take a front seat weekly as industry leaders, decision makers, and innovators share their wisdom and expertise on the ins and outs of successful coaching. Now join your host, Meg Rentschler, as she connects you with your star coaching potential. Welcome to the Star Coach Show. This is Meg Rentschler, Executive Coach, Coaching Instructor, and Mentor Coach. It is so good to have you join us. I am super excited about today's show. While my guest, Executive and Leadership Coach Susan Shapiro, and I were exploring corporate coaching, some really important themes came to the surface. And then I got to thinking that we've been together a while. This is our 22nd show, and I'm going to change things up just a little bit. I'm going to be asking you some questions for you to think about during this opening segment. And I want to encourage you to post your thoughts and responses on our Facebook page at Star Coach Show on Facebook so that we can begin to learn from one another. Our guests have incredible knowledge that they're sharing with us. And I think that there is more that we can do to learn and grow with one another. So Get out there, get to our Star Coach Show Facebook page and begin to have some communication with one another about the topics that I'm going to bring up and then any other topics that you want to add. In today's interview, Susan shares about her journey to clarify around who her ideal client is and how she needed to give herself time to explore and test and work with different variety of clients to determine just what was her sweet spot, or as she states, what really made her heart sing. Even though she knew that the corporate world was where she wanted to be and what was most comfortable for her, there was still work to be done on what type of client in that space was the best fit for her. So I wonder, how clear are you about who you want to work with? And either how did you go through the process of getting that clarity, or what are you doing now to go through the process of getting that clarity? Or are you in a place of really not even knowing where to start and want to get some information from others? Another area that we explored is courage. And Susan shared some incredible examples of needing to be courageous to be the best for her client. Being courageous enough to share honestly with our clients and or our sponsor organizations if they are asking for something that might not be the optimal solution. It takes courage to remember that when you're being brought into an organization, they know the result that they want, but you're the expert in the process. You're the expert with your training and your experience in the coaching process, in what coaching is and what coaching can do. There may be situations where that experience and training leads you to suggest another approach or another intervention, and that takes courage. As Susan points out, it is our responsibility to work in a way that brings the most value to our clients, even if that involves pushing back to some degree or creating additional clarity around what you can do, what you believe the best approach is. 
It's how we can best serve our clients and the coaching profession. So I wonder, have you been in a situation that's involved being courageous and perhaps have offered another perspective or another approach? What was the result of that? What's your thought about potentially giving another perspective or offering another approach? The show today explores these ideas and many more. Susan shares the three things that she did to build on-point leadership, her thriving executive coaching practice, where she works with Fortune 100 and 500 company leaders. Susan's also the past president of the North Texas chapter of the ICF and is a professional certified coach through the ICF. Let's go to our interview with Susan Shapiro. I want to welcome Susan Shapiro to the show. Susan is an executive and leadership coach. She practices out of Dallas, the Dallas area. And Susan and I have known each other for many years. We actually worked through the ICF North Texas chapter board. Susan is a past president of the ICF North Texas chapter and is just an all-around phenomenal lady. I'm so excited to be able to bring her to the show. Welcome, Susan. Thank you, Meg. I'm happy to be here, and I love what you're doing. You're a great connector, and I appreciate being asked. Well, thank you. Susan, what what first attracted you to coaching? What brought you into the realm of coaching? What was your life before coaching? That's a good, good start. Before coaching, I was a leader at Hewlett Packard. And one thing I found I had a knack for was uh, pulling together teams, whether they work for me or not, right? So I had to use influential leadership and positional leadership. You know, either they worked for me or they were dotted line, but I had to get them all on the same page. And I just realized this was fun and I loved it. And I loved helping people grow and get promoted and so that told me, okay, there might be some skill here. <laughs> so when, this might be something I want to pursue. Yes. <laughs> so when I left the company, I started consult. I was at Hewlett Packard. When I left the company, I was consulting and that just wasn't doing it for me. I wanted to have more of a human connection. So I found out about the UTD program and um, was in the first cohort. So started coaching or started the class in 2005. The very first cohort ever at UTD you are a graduate of. Right. Well, (laughs) so you went through the program. And one of the things that I hear as coaches come through the program is how do I get clear about who I want to work with? How do I get myself out there? And that's something that you've done incredibly well. So how did you get clear about who you wanted to work with? Thank you. Well, it took me longer than I think for most. I had heard develop your niche, be really clear, and be super focused. Well, I didn't really know what my niche would be. I mean, I knew I wanted to work with corporations because that's where I was comfortable. I kind of felt really comfortable in these big, giant companies because I understood politics and how to get things done. But I didn't know is my niche women, men, young people, older people, people that are career changing. I'm not sure. So I went ahead on purpose and (laughs) decided to coach kind of one of everything. So I never said no. I took all these opportunities to coach millennials, coach uh, retirees who wanted a change in their life, coach people from other countries. It didn't matter what their race was, their country, uh, their religious, their cultural background. You just wanted to get it all. 
Yeah. And that to me was so cool. So it helped me decide my niche today, which is high potential leaders. They could be any sex from any country, but what they all have in common is they love to learn. So that's kind of what I decided. They have to be either designated high potential in their company or super eager. Didn't matter what level because they could be a first line manager and have a lot of potential. And then I found that fun. Now, today, it's mainly like mid-level leaders wanting to get to the next level or senior leaders that want to get more productive or effective with their leadership. And you talk about that your comfort level is in that big organization, that that's what you kind of grew up in, that's what you're comfortable with. So once you got clear about working with these high potential leaders, how did you get out there to organizations and let them know, hey, Susan Shapiro, coach here. Well, here's what I did. I, I just started with people I knew. You might have heard in the insurance world, they say, once you get your license, they say, call on friends and family and sell everybody. Well, I kind of took that approach, but more in the corporate setting. So I called all my former employees, the people that worked for me that knew me, because coaching is all about trust. And I figured, don't start with people that don't know me. Start with people who do and will just give me an order right away. So because of the credibility. So I started with people that work for me and people I work for. So people that you'd already established that trust with, your low-hanging fruit. Yes. Good way to put it. So what was fun is once I told everyone what I was doing, I would say, hey, let's go to lunch. I didn't even have to sell, right? It was more like, hey, what are you doing? Well, here's what I'm doing. Here's what coaching is. And now everybody knows what coaching is, but then they didn't back in 2006. Right. And I think still sometimes there's that a misconception that coaching is only for development or if there's an issue. And luckily, we've done a lot of work to change that persona of it. But being able, I think something key that you're saying, Susan, is being able to be really clear about what it what coaching is, what the benefits are, what you're able to provide in a coaching engagement. Yes, that was important. I had to articulate that. And once that got, came across, they just started giving me business. And so I think, yeah, you're right. The three things, I wrote down three things because I wanted to make sure people kind of could remember this, is I just started with the people that trusted me. And number two, I had to have a very clear value proposition of what I do, what coaching is, and how it helps others. So get real clear on that. And then the third thing was connect and align it to their world. So I had two strategies. One was going after functional leaders who had money already in their budget. Why? We could, they could make a fast decision. They could pay me with an Amex, right? Mm-hmm. Didn't have to go through purchasing or terms and conditions or legal or HR or OD. It's just they ordered coaching from me. And that was strategy one. The second strategy was talk to the OD people, position my services in the whole picture of what talent management is. So I created a slide deck of what talent management is. And, you know, of course they loved it because they were like, they found what the, where their job was. And then yeah. I highlighted where coaching was. So that told them here, when this ever happens, call me. So that worked really well with people that didn't know me. And I learned something that it took about three or four touch points before they trusted me. Can you give an example? I mean, when you say two or three touch points before they trusted you, what might that look like? First of all, the phone call, you know, hey, I'm calling you and maybe I knew someone that they knew, right? That was the door opener. The second one was a real in-person meeting where I had to come real prepared, know my stuff, 
you know, be super succinct to respect their time that built credibility and then offer to do something for them, whether it was send them testimonials or where coaching fits in the world of their industry, whatever. So deliver value, right? That was the next touch point. Mm -hmm. And then hopefully the next touch point was a meeting again, face-to-face where they introduced me to other people or I made a presentation. I found I had to do a lot of presentations into companies who didn't know me. And then that gave them credibility. I also had to sell them on what ICF was, you know, why an ICF coach as a way to differentiate. So each touch point built, built this credibility because and like you said, trust and them knowing that you knew your stuff. Right. And I saw that pattern. So then I decided it takes longer to sell to someone that doesn't know you, of course. So then I leaned back into people that did know me because that part of the business was growing. And now I don't even need to prospect anymore because it's all referral. But you do need to have a strategy of how to call on those who know you versus those that don't know you. And something you said that is so key, it, you have to, what's in it for them? Our, It's not, you know, selling yourself per se. It's saying this is what this function can do and how it fits in your organization. I love that you were able to build it right in and show them this is where coaching fits. And when these things happen, I'm the person that you need. Exactly. You said it better than I did, Meg. So (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I'm I'm actually so impressed. So you said you did a lot of presentations at first and you don't have to do that now because you've built up such a pipeline. But when you were doing presentations, any additional information about what you might have put out there? Sort of how how did you present coaching? Uh, Let's see. Well, first I would start with that talent management OD slide that showed the whole life cycle of recruiting, onboarding, leadership development, high potential programs, succession planning, team. I plugged teams in there because that was what I did well. You know, I had to show, I had to put in there what I did well <laughs> and highlight And that. what you enjoy doing. Right, right. Mm-hmm. That was part of it. And then I would talk, I would show testimonials in their industry so that they'd go, oh yeah, all right, yeah, it works for DOD or it works for discrete manufacturing or telecom or whatever. I try to speak their language of, I wanted them to position me in their company because I was in their competitors or I was in somebody like them. Okay. That was important. Then I decided, like you mentioned, I have a bunch of other coaches I like to work with that in big projects, they might need more more than one person. So I pull together other coaches sometimes to deliver on these bigger projects. So that was one of my unique value propositions that I could do all this for them. And you I were the touch point. So they said we need we have a project that's going to need five coaches over this span of time. You they could kind of hand it to you and you handled it. Right. And that that fit because I when I was at HP, I loved to manage people and programs and projects that were far-reaching. And so it fit what I already liked to do. And I love to deliver value and I love to, to have that interaction with them. I also learned what I didn't like to do is what a lot of coaches do. I didn't like to write books, do a lot of public speaking, although I'm okay at it. <laughs> I'm sure you're very good at it, yeah. <laughs> Create content and do training. All right, I still do a little bit of that or but it didn't make me happy. didn't make my heart sing. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And so another great example in that you started kind of doing what you needed to do to make it happen. But over the period of time, you've gotten clearer and clearer about what your particular genius is, what you love to do. And when you're passionate about it, people 
I'm sure are just attracted to it. And now you have this steady referral base around the things that that just make you sing. Right. And I had to get real honest about that. You know, when you're going through coach training, they tell you to pick your niche and be happy in it. But frankly, it took me a long time. It might've taken five years before I figured out what I really wanted to do because I had to experience all the different phases and go, you know, that wasn't really fun. I didn't like coaching that person, not because of them, but because of the setting or the situation. Where am I happier? So, you know, that's just learning. The other thing I learned was it's important to create alliances with other coaches like you and I, right? We met each other. If, if a client has a need for the kind of coaching you do, I'll send them to you. That's important because you've got to learn you can't do everything. So I always refer. Every week I'm referring business to people. <laughs> so, which is which is what, and then people are more likely to refer back to you also when something comes across their plate that isn't a fit. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, well, yeah, certainly. And um, I think the key thing there is not to allow scarcity or the fear of not keeping it all to yourself to to dictate, but instead really follow your heart and what you've discovered so that you're dealing with the clients that you're best at dealing with and allowing other people to deal with the clients that they're best at that speaks to the coaching profession. I've got to say that I think coaches are some of the most generous tuned into what people need and willing to kind of share and understand the concept that there's enough to go around. And when we all do what we're best at, it serves our clients the best and it serves the coaching industry the best. I, perfect. I couldn't have said that better. It's, it's so true. And you form alliances. I used to be in the alliances part of HP. So that just was easy for me. That's how I thought, right? Mm-hmm. Let's find out the best of you and the best of you and put it together and just be dynamite. So alliances are everything. I still refer people that want their resume rewritten to a woman in Detroit that I met at the Midwest sales conference, <laughs> right? I must've given her, I don't know how many deals and it costs me nothing. I just email people her name and sometimes she sends business my way, but Clients love that because if you are an expert in coaching, you need to know who's good at uh, creating a workshop, who's good at keynote speaking, right? You need to be able to say, call Meg Rentschler for this because she will do a really good job for you or call so-and-so. What I found is people then saw me as a resource. So even when they didn't need coaching, they'd call me and say, hey, we're having this problem about change management in, in our company. Can you do it? And I would you know, that's not, I could do it, but it wouldn't be as good as an expert. So I would refer. And I'd rather have things come through me, not because I'm going to broker it, because I don't make commissions, unless unless I specifically worked really hard to generate the business, get a commission from someone. But it's all about value. It's all about me offering value to my clients so that they choose me first. Right. And you're always top of mind for them. Even if you end up referring out to somebody else, they still know that it was Susan who connected them with that resource. So the next time they need something, Susan's going to be top of mind. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. It works usually. (laughs) Well, and you just have such a graciousness about it. And it's always delightful to work with you. Thank you. (laughs) So do you mind what, what would a typical day look like for Susan? Even when I say typical, I'm like, I know there's no such thing as a typical day, but just in general. Right. You know, The way it used to look is 
every day would be so radically different. One day I'd be up getting on the road at seven to get downtown by eight, right, to call on or to work with people. But I'm trying more and more to say no to all these in-person meetings that clients really want. I'm thinking lately they want more in-person because everything else is so impersonal in their life. Virtual meetings and teleconferences and I think people are so sick and tired of that, that they want to see their coach. And that's just me noticing a trend, but I'm starting to say, okay, I'm only going to meet you six times out of the 12 in person. The rest will be virtual. Got to make it work. So typical day, I'm up early. I'm in the car. I'm driving to an appointment either because I have to do a meeting with their boss or a meeting with them that has to be in person. I'm busy every single day. I've even made myself available in the evening for certain clients that just cannot break away from their crazy schedule. But I only do that in exceptional (laughs) cases. I mean, but every day, every day, it's a full time day. But I'm learning that I've got to have like one day a week for my own downtime, my own administration, reading, thinking, planning. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm starting to kind of listen to my own advice and be strategic and, and make it the same day a week. And clients usually don't like to meet me on Mondays. So it seems like Monday is now becoming my planning day, or at least half day. Yeah, but you're listening to your own needs as well and adjusting as you go along. One theme that has come out throughout this interview, Susan, is that you're a learner. I mean, you take in the data from whatever you're doing, make some decisions about what's right for you, tweak it along the way, and that continually. So how you went, you said you went through coach training in 2005. Yeah, 2005 to 2006. So yeah, basically the last 10, 11 years, you've been learning, taking in data, making decisions and tweaking along the way. Yeah, I probably learned the hard way. My parents used to tell me that. (laughs) Because if someone gave me advice and said, you have to do it this way, I would say, no, I want to figure it out myself. So I do learn maybe slower, but it's my way. But it, yeah, it continues to be right for you. I don't know that other people can tell you what's right for you. You're such a good coach, Meg. I mean, <laughs> you're coaching me right now and I'm loving it. <laughs> so you have, you primarily work with what you said to mid to upper level managers now, but you tend to work in pretty large corporations, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it's probably because I'm comfortable there. Like you said, it's kind of lonely what we do. Mm-hmm. I miss, I grew up in big company. I miss walking down the hall and seeing people I know. So I found I would gravitate to places where I could, you know, go up the elevator myself and I wouldn't need a security badge because they'd give me one, right? And I could walk around and see people I know and get to know their culture. So for me, that's fun. I've done entrepreneurial coaching. To me, it's a lot harder. That's better for other coaches. I'm married to an entrepreneur, so I think I'm kind of. I know what to do, but it's hard, (laughs) harder for me. So yeah, large companies, there's so much opportunity. If you coach the leader, maybe they're going to want you to coach their team next. Mm -hmm. Or if you coach, I don't know, I used to do a lot of presentations on conflict management, accountability, things that the companies wanted me to create. So after doing that, they'd see you and they'd say, oh, wow, can you go help so-and-so over here? So What's great about a big company is once you're in, 
then they trust you, then they're going to refer you inside. Because really the need doesn't end. There's, there's, it might, you might finish with John, but Sandy might need something or, uh, and then somebody else wants what Sandy's got. (laughs) And, and, you know, it, it, it goes on and on. So, and, and you become a part of their culture. Right. Right. And you know, it's, I want to make this point because I had to learn it the hard way. People that are wanting to buy coaching are looking at different things than when you deliver the coaching. So for example, they may think you need to know my industry. You need to know everything about my industry because they think coaching is consulting. They choose you based on what you've done in their industry and their company or not choose you. I remember losing five or four interviews in a row at a company because they said, you don't know my company. Finally, they gave me a chance. Now I do know the company and now they gave me four new ones. So it's a barrier. So you've got to sell what the way you sell coaching might be different than the way you deliver it. And we all know the way you deliver coaching is it's not about being an expert in their field, but, but you sell what they think they need and you give, you sell what they want and you give them what they really need. <laughs> Perfect. Exactly. Meg. Right. I mean, it's not like I switch bait and switch, but no, no. But I mean, cause it's within it, it. They are getting what they want. It just might be that they're, you're the expert in coaching. They just know what the end result needs to be. So you're giving them the end result. It's just might not be through their lens. Exactly. And I've had to tell them before when they just say, you know, what should I do? What should I do about a business situation? Let's say they're in sales and their question is something I know the answer to. You know, I'll have to, I'll coach them through that. But then sometimes they say, just tell me. (laughs) So then I'll put the consulting hat on and tell them, but I'm really clear about saying, this is consulting. This is not coaching. It really depends on what they need. Some clients really need consulting and I'll just change my agreement right then and there. I'll say, look, from here on, if that's what you want me to deliver, we'll do that. Because some are not ready for coaching. There've been so many times where I've had to be pretty courageous and stop the coaching, talk to the OD person or the HR and say, hey, this isn't working. I'm a lot more strong now on what I will and won't accept as a coaching engagement. I don't do developmental coaching anymore. Not developmental, remedial coaching. Right. Mm-hmm. Every time I do it, they end up firing the person. I'm just not going to do that. I'm. It's not ethical. I don't feel. Mm-hmm. And the okay. poor person that gets fired, I built trust with them and now they leave. So then right. they think I'm the reason they left. I just can't live with that. So my answer, I know you didn't ask this one, but my my answer is when they ask me to do that, I give them a coachability checklist and they fill it out and the manager fills it out and the HR person. And if they have too many no's on the checkbox, you know, I don't. What kinds of things do you ask to see if somebody's coachable? When you've given them feedback before, have they integrated it? Have they um, changed? It's really more about how they integrate feedback into their shifting. Their mm-hmm. Are they applying new learning to what they're doing? Are they in the victim mode? I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, people out of right. It, but if that's where they hang out and they can't seem to get out of that. Um, then do you really want to join them there? Right. And you can't very well hog tie them and bring them out. So, right. So I'll say I'll coach the manager because if I coach the manager, you'll have better benefit for the whole company or the whole organization. And half the time that works. They'll say, oh, wow, that makes sense. So I'll say, do what you want with this person, but I am going to coach you and help you learn how to help this employee through coaching. 
And um, so that's not what I say all the time. <laughs> and I'm willing to bet that by you being willing to be courageous and be true to coaching, you're educating people to what coaching is, you're helping companies actually be more effective with their coaching, yet it does take courage to look business in the face and say, I'm not going to do what you're asking me to do. I would tweak it and do it this way because there's always the possibility that doesn't land well. Although I'm sure that you do that very, very well. I can only imagine though, Susan, the first time you did that, what was happening inside of you when you did that? Here's a quick story. I was hired to coach three people in a company. All three hated the boss. Well, I kind of learned why as I got to coach these three. And the requirements were coach them, get your 12 sessions in, but do it in a very escalated mode, which was a red flag to me because change takes a long time. You can't just squeeze in a coaching engagement into like two months. Right. So I should have known that this is a red flag still coach them anyway. And then one day he fired all three and me at the same time and the HR person who hired me. So it was like the whole thing didn't work. Oh, coaching is bad, right? So you don't want coaching to look like a a bad intervention. You want to make it look like something that can help people. So I, boy, I'm still upset about that one, but I learned. But things like that are, are the kinds of things that unfortunately stay with us and allow you to then apply the learning from that to, to new situations. Yeah. You mentioned something you said, you know, you can't get a coaching engagement in in two months. And I agree with you. So on average, what would you say is the length of coaching engagements? I'll, I'll say six months, 12 sessions in six months, but sometimes because of vacation and all, it spreads out over eight or whatever. Mm-hmm. As long as we can keep like every two weeks or every three weeks, that's good. But if we start to do it only once a month, we both forget what we talked about last time and and we lose momentum. So many times I'll check back in and say, we got to speed this up. Or it's an indication they're not committed, the the client. So we'll have a a really heart-to-heart about, is it working for you? Again, that's about courageousness too is to stop if it's not working and and maybe suggest something else. When you decide that maybe something isn't working and you work in organizations, there's different levels you're dealing with then because you've got either HR or OD or management that's brought you in and then you've got your actual client. So how do you deal with that if if, and luckily, this hasn't happened very often for you. But when it does, how do you handle those dynamics? Here's an example. When I write a development plan with a client, we pull that from the 360 or the interview 360 or whatever. It's their plan. They write it. I might help them. You know, no, that's an outcome, not an objective, right? I want them to learn what an objective is and what a measure is and what an outcome is. So I, I help them a little bit. I mean, otherwise they flail. So it's co-developed. So in that plan, we have to check in, right? So every couple of weeks, we check in, how are you doing against the plan? And maybe midway through the engagement, it's time to say, have you made any progress? And usually they have, and it's great. And they're excited. And then they go tell their boss without me, they go tell their boss, hey, I've fixed this relationship. I'm better at delegating. I manage my time better. Sometimes though, if they haven't made any progress, I'll have a hard talk with them and say, you know what? Not only do they want you to learn about yourself through coaching, but they really want you to hit these metrics in the company. And, and, and you've told me you haven't. 
So I, again, suggest you to talk with the boss. I might then talk to the boss privately about the metrics. How do you think so-and-so is doing? And if I hear bad news, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I want those two people to talk. I don't want to be in the middle. That's not my job. I want those two to talk. So I encourage the boss to say, to reach in and talk to the employee and the employee to talk to the boss about what does good performance look like if you're not doing it now? Because what's going to happen if if they don't have that tough conversation is I'm going to look bad. The coach is going to look like they failed. And I don't want to get into their decisions about should I fire this person, move them, take responsibility. That is not a good place to go. But I do, I'm very clear about saying, hey, I talked with your boss and he hasn't seen these outcomes reached. What are you going to do? Again, it's up to them. Right. But you are holding the spotlight on the part that needs to be addressed. You're not just being supportive and not challenging. You're appropriately challenging. That's your job as a coach. Right. It's not my job to teach them how to do something that's on the plan, although we'll coach around it. But it's just a very delicate balance. And I think it's taken me 10 years to figure out when to speak up, when not to but you just don't want to get in the middle of a performance problem. And if you see that it's becoming a performance problem, you've got to speak up with the, with the client and say, you know what, this is looking like a performance problem. I don't manage you. I don't know what you do every day. It's not my job to know what you do every day. I used to manage people, but I don't manage you. You've got to have a better relationship with your boss to figure out how you are meeting or not meeting his expectations. So a lot of times I'm the voice of honesty that they've never heard before. They may have a culture where no one gives anybody feedback. So I'm smarter now about not taking those uh, engagements. That's not a good fit for me. I came from HP where it was all flat organization. Everyone's empowered. Everyone's accountable. You know, you all work toward the metric. So that's probably my best fit, those kind of cultures. But if it's way too hierarchical where no one gives feedback... I'll just say, no, it's not fun for me. (laughs) I don't like those. That is such good feedback because I guarantee you listeners, there's going to be listeners who are put in those situations and the examples that you were willing to give are so beneficial to beginning to navigate those waters or maybe even giving somebody an idea of, I had never thought that I could maybe be that direct or, or, challenge in that way that will help the client, I think will help the client respect themselves more, respect you more, understand that this, we're doing this for a reason. And <laughs> I want to help you get to where we need to be, but this is not something I can do for you. This is something that you have to take the driver's seat on. Nice. You do such a good job summarizing, Meg. I'm noticing that about our conversation. You just net it out. If I were your client, I would love that from you. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for being willing to put it on the table and share some experiences that you've had, share your success. I just, I just want to keep you in my pocket. <laughs> so thank you, Susan, for joining the show today. Thank you. Appreciate it, Meg. There are many wonderful aspects of being a coach. And one of the things that I hear many times that's challenging in coaching is feeling isolated when we're in our own businesses and working through challenges on our own. That's what makes 
having our guests on our show who are willing to share their experiences and help us learn from their challenges and their successes and bring us closer together as a community. So I want to thank Susan Shapiro once again for joining the show and sharing her coaching journey with us. If you'd like to know more about Susan Shapiro or about our show, visit starcoachshow.com. In addition, while you're on the site, if you haven't signed up for the ongoing book giveaway, be sure to do so. We're currently giving away Turbocharge by Terry Levine, and I'd love to have you in the drawing for our ongoing book giveaway. A really easy way to access our Facebook page and hopefully have you join the discussion that we've been talking about in today's show on the Star Coach Show Facebook page. You can click on the link to the Facebook page from starcoachshow.com. Let's talk. Let's get some conversation going about what's working and what's challenging and help one another out. I also want to remind you that we do have some great resources coming up. The Star Coach membership site is in the works and soon to come. And there's just some really fun stuff that's going to be offered through that. So until next week, this is your host, Meg Rentschler, wishing you the very best for your coaching success.